If you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm not sure how many of you know that we, uh, I mentioned live stream a little while ago. I don't know how many of you know we actually Wednesday nights are live stream uh, as well as Sunday morning at 11. So um, let your friends, let your family know. Those of you are watching right now, share this with your Facebook friends. Uh, we are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And I've warned you ahead of time, we will be here for a while because it's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we're just in the Beatitudes, and we're only taking one Beatitude at a time. Uh, we'll pick up a little momentum after we get out of the Beatitudes, but uh, just so you'll know, we'll be here for a little bit. But uh, it will be time well spent. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 is where we're at. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, we mentioned uh, at the beginning, and we've been stressing this so that everybody will understand this. Uh, you see, the, the Beatitudes are, as, as we're working through them, I hope you're seeing this, the Beatitudes are really a great discipleship tool uh, for a new believer. You know, you might come alongside a new believer, someone you know, and you say, you know, where can I start helping them to grow? The, the Beatitudes would, would be great. But it's important that we understand that the Beatitudes, how, how they work, how, you know, how they function. You see, some people want to view the Beatitudes as a, as a kind of a ladder that can help get them up to heaven. Uh, for example, it, you know, it's like if you're poor in spirit, that's step one. And then... If you mourn, you've reached the second rung, and if you are meek, you've come to the third rung, and you just keep climbing, you see. Uh, some people see it that way. So in fact, sometimes uh, uh, the Beatitudes have, have been um, communicated in that way, as if do these things, starting in, in verse uh, 3, start doing these things, and you can earn your way into heaven. Uh, but then you come to a Beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. And uh, Jesus says, for only they will see God. And then the system breaks down. Because uh, blessed are the pure in heart, as we're going to see in just a moment. Uh, this is a whole different ballgame here. Uh, and I, I think, as we mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that the best way to think about the Beatitudes are uh, roots, shoots, and fruit. Okay? Uh, for example, think, think of roots uh, being verses 3 through 5. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. Think about those as the roots, okay? And then uh, we have the shoots. I want you to see a paragraph. We, we looked at this, I think, the time before last. And out of these roots, verses 3, 4, and 5, come the shoots, which would be verse 6 and 7, a hunger and thirst for uh, righteousness. God uses the root of sensing your need to produce the shoot of longing for righteousness. When the roots of the first three Beatitudes are nourished, a desire for righteousness will grow. Continuing the metaphor, the roots produce shoots, and the shoots bear fruit. And the first fruit of this blessed and godly life is mercy, then purity, and peace. And so it's, it's, it's important to see it that way. Shoots, roots, 
and fruits. And we're into the fruit part, okay? So, so some of the fruit that be, is begin to bear in the Christian's life. Now, I think it's fair to say that when you look at verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, at first that is very frightening because you think, pure in heart? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Can that possibly, is, is that achievable? Is that could that possibly be? So before we get too far, let's ask this question. What do you think most people think Jesus means by pure in heart? What, what comes to your mind? What do you think most people think when they hear pure in heart? Anybody? Yes. I'm sorry? No. Okay. No guile. Okay. All right. No deceit. Okay. Anybody else? Pure in heart. What, what, what comes to mind? Anybody? Sincere? Okay, good, good. What? what I'm sorry? Okay, okay. Loving? Okay, all right. Uh, pure in heart. I, so, sometimes people think, when they hear pure in heart, they think of um, just moral cleanness. Like, like, pure in heart would mean I don't have any bad thoughts. Never a bad thought passes through my mind. And if it does, I'm not pure in heart. So, sometimes people will, can, can think in, in terms of just moral issues, moral cleanness. And uh, if that's the case, you can see why this verse is so frightening. It, you know, it's like, it, it, you mean pure in heart means I never have a bad thought go through my head? Oh, no, you know. Uh, th- that would be frightening. It really would. So let's look first at what this pure in heart does not mean. Before we look at what it does mean, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way what it does not mean. You'll see this in your notes. It does not mean that you never have a bad thought. It does not mean that. It does not mean that you never have a bad thought that squirrels its way through your head. Okay? We, we, have, we have bad thoughts. And we'd, li- we'd like to say that. Wouldn't we like to say, I haven't had a bad thought in a month. Wouldn't you like to be? Anybody here like that? I'm just curious. I just, I want to have a talk with you after service. I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's it's not, never. It's not never having a bad thought. Nor is it pure in heart. Is not a sinlessness of life. We might be inclined to think that Jesus says, "Blessed are the pure in heart," and you think, "Well, that must mean this certain class of sinless person." Now, how do we know? that that is not what Jesus means. Well, you'll see a verse there in your notes, but you'll also see it in the overhead, 1 John 1 and 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That is written to believers, by the way. Okay, So let's just establish first, right off the bat, pure in heart does not mean that you never have a bad thought. It doesn't mean that you, you, you have live a sinless life. So we get that out of the way. But So that leaves us with what does Jesus mean by purity of heart? And the best place to begin is to look at the background for this verse. The background for this verse is found in Psalm 24. And you'll see that, Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, as we mentioned a moment ago, 
oftentimes when people think of purity of heart, they think only in terms of moral cleanness. Now, it, it, it certainly would encompass that, but that's not all. In fact, if you look closely at these verses, you'll see that it speaks of something else too. Okay? If you'll be a careful observer of this verse, or these verses, careful observer, you'll notice something else. But before we point it out, I want us to look at another passage that also points this out in Ezekiel chapter 36. God promises, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, okay, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now notice here, uncleannesses is mentioned, but also the next phrase, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Hmm. Here's, here's what I want you to entertain tonight. A, a broader picture of, of, of what it means to be pure of heart. It, it is more than, more than, it's not less than moral cleanliness, but it's more than that. And we know when we compare these two verses, I think the next slide does this. In, in Psalm 24, it said, Who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and then compare that with Ezekiel, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now, notice those two verses are saying very similar. In fact, just say it, same things. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Okay? What I want you to see here is this. Purity of heart is not just moral cleansing, but the impurity of compromise and accommodation. Accommodation and compromise, having to do with lifting up our soul to false idols. In other words, what is wrong with our heart is not just moral uncleanness. It's we have a divided heart. See, that, that is exactly what an impure heart is. An impure heart is not just unclean. It is divided. It is it is undecided. It's divided. And so if you really want to get to the heart of what, what does it mean to have a pure heart, we have to think first, what does it mean to have an impure heart? It means a divided heart, uh, undecided. It's, it's, it's here, and it's here, kind of, it's, it's, it's halting, it's, it's straddling. You know, it's over here, and got a foot planted here, and a foot planted here, and a foot planted here, you see. That is what it means to have an impure heart. A good, a good verse to, to look at was one that we read this past Sunday uh, morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Remember, Paul said, I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Friends, when you think about the enemy of your soul, I don't know what comes to your mind like, you know, like, for example, like, what do you think? What do you think that the devil would like to do to you? 
aside from kill you, but what, 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 what do you think he'd like to do to you? You think, well, he just, he wants me to, uh, he wants me to take my tithe money and, and go buy a boat. Uh, he wants me to, uh, he wants me to not come on Wednesday nights and, and, and go, you know, listen, what he wants to do is to mess with your devotion. How do we know that? I didn't have time to put this in your notes because I was just looking at it this, this afternoon. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and write these down in your notes. You want to look at this later. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Paul, Paul writes this. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Now this is Paul writing to a church. In, in other words, in other words he's, willing to, he's willing to really speak truthfully to them because he loves them. And, and, he, and he, he doesn't want anybody messing with them. He, doesn't want them he, he wants them to be helped and not hurt. And so he says, I feel a divine jealousy of you since I betrothed you to, to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Then verse 3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The bullseye, the bullseye that the enemy has upon every believer is to divide your heart. That, that you will not be, as the word was used earlier, sincere. You see, what, what Christ wants is our sincere, wholehearted, undivided devotion to him. Uh, John Stott was... Uh, He's passed on now, but uh, was, a, was, a, was a great influenced pastor and author of many books. And here's what he said. He points out that Jesus' words in this beatitude have often been understood in terms of inward purity. He notes that the popular interpretation is to regard purity of heart as an inner cleansing from moral defilement. But he goes on to say this. Stott proposes that the core idea expressed in this statement in verse 8 has to do with singleness of heart. What Jesus portrays here is the single self as opposed to the divided self. It is the person who presents the true self to God and man. And if this is true, then the opposite of purity of heart is hypocrisy. Isn't that interesting? The opposite, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, and we're trying to get a good handle on that. One way we can do it is the opposite of purity heart is hypocrisy. It's a divided heart. We never know quite what we're getting with this person because their heart is divided, you see. Their devotion is divided. Where singleness of heart, or purity of heart, I should say, is singleness of heart and undivided Heart. So I think you have in your notes, we're ready to kind of put a definition to this. What is purity of heart? One, it is a sincere heart. Okay? Um, I, I hope I can get this out right. Uh, the, the word uh, sincere, it, it, from, from what I can remember, it, is, it comes from the Latin word sin, sincera. And... Uh, Years ago, they would they would use uh, they would use wax to um, to repair uh, statues. Okay, the, the, you know, like a statue, maybe a piece would be broken off, and they would they would put wax in. Okay, to fill in, and uh, it, it would be 
the, the session would be non-sincere, you see. It would, it would be, in other, in other words, it, it wasn't fully real, okay? And, and so what, 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 what Christ would have from us is to be fully real. Fully real before God, fully real before man. Sincere heart. Uh, a pure, purity of heart is, secondly, an undivided heart, okay? Again, uh, not over here and over here, uh, but, but a singleness, a singleness of devotion to Christ. Uh, Third, a heart focused on one thing, being Christ. Notice also, a heart that wills one thing. Now, it doesn't mean, now listen, don't, don't, don't take this to mean that, okay, what are you saying, preacher? I've, I've, got, to, I've, I've got to live with, you know, my, driving with my Bible open and driving to only one place, the church, you know? Is that, no, that, that's not what we're saying at all. Uh, our, our whole life of, of work and play and pleasure and all, all to the glory of God. But it's about our heart, see, our heart, a heart that wills one thing. A good picture of this, I think, is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Paul said, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some translations actually say, I don't, I don't consider myself perfect. Paul, 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 Paul is never saying that he's uh, uh, sinless. So purity of heart is not sinlessness of life. But notice this, but one thing I do, one thing I do. Now that doesn't mean that he, you know, he, he doesn't cook supper, <laughs> that, he, that he doesn't do the normal things of life. You know, it's not talking about that, that, that all he does, all he does is, is, is ministry. No, not. But this, where my heart, I have a heart that wills one thing, to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Now, uh, we might ought to consider this question. Why? Is Jesus so concerned about our heart? Purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, you, you do know, I mean, you do know we're not talking about this fleshly heart. You know that, right? But um, what, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of the heart? The heart is what you are, okay? What you, what you really are, okay? What you really are, who you really are, in the secrecy of your thought and feelings, where nobody knows but God. Okay, I mean it's it's you know it's the real you. It, it mind, emotions, will, conscience, all of all of those things, affections, all of those things comprise what the Bible calls the heart. Notice in First Samuel uh, sixteen and seven. Uh, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We, we, we can't know one another's heart, but we can be sure that God knows our heart. Now, this next verse I want you to see, uh, we looked at this on a Thursday gathering uh, a, a week or so ago. It's in 1 Kings. And, and man, this is a fascinating verse. 
It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart from other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And notice that phrase, and his heart was not wholly true. Solomon's was not, as was the heart of David his father. Now, we, we went over this, and I won't go belabor it, but we went over this and just pointed out, you do remember David was guilty of adultery and having Bathsheba's husband murdered, covering up the entirety of it all. But yet the scriptures say, God's word says, that David's heart was wholly true unto the Lord. And again, that is absolutely mind-boggling. Um, so you know, what, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that David was sinless? No. Um, so here's a question first to ponder. Can you be blameless before God without being faultless before God? Can you be blameless before God without being faultless before God? And the answer is yes. Now think about it for me. Can you be blameless before God without being faultless before God? What does it say of Job? Job was blameless. Does that mean he was sinless, faultless? No. None of us. None of us are without sin. But it is possible, by the grace of God, to be blameless before God without being faultless. Uh, what is it saying there in 1 Kings 11 4? David's heart was a single heart. It was an undivided heart. Though, though he stumbled, though he sinned. We, 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 one of the reasons we know that he had a single heart, an undivided heart, was he confessed his sin. He repented before God. So I think this sentence is in your notes, and I hope it is because it's important. God is looking for a kind of person as opposed to a mere kind of behavioral pattern. Now, th- think that through for a while, okay? I mean, when I look at First Kings 11 and 4, um, God is looking for a kind of person. What kind of person? Whose heart is wholly true. Whose heart is pure, undivided, sincere, singleness of heart. He's looking for that as opposed to a just a mere kind of behavioral pattern. Um, let me give you some examples of, of what I mean rather than just brush over this. Luke 18, if you'll turn over to Luke's gospel, chapter 18. I'm afraid that churches have a heavy concentration of people who have rural righteousness as opposed to heart righteousness. There's a difference. Rural, rural righteousness is a person who's trying to settle in on a, on a, a certain kind of a behavioral pattern. Do this or do this or won't do this or won't do this. Uh, such as the gentleman in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, this is the rich young ruler. He asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. Rule righteousness. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, this rich young ruler had an ex- external godliness, 
a rules righteousness, but he had heart issues, right? That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He says, okay, well, you know, here, here's the things you do. Uh, let's dive deeper. Let's dive deeper and let's, let's take a look at your heart. What direction is your heart? What's the trajectory of your heart? And, and verse, verse 23 tells us, sad for he was extremely rich. Nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with being wealthy, but when it becomes our idol, you see, becomes our replacement for God, then there's the problem. Uh, again, God is looking for a kind of person as opposed to a mere kind of behavioral pattern. Uh, an example might help. Uh, you tell a child, you, you tell a child, I better never catch you doing that. You know, maybe the neighbor kid got caught or maybe yours was right on the edge. You're right on the, I better never catch you. I better never catch you doing that. And they will do their best, won't they? They'll do their best to adjust their behavior so that you won't catch them. Have you been successful? Why? Huh? Exactly. What, 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 we, what we've done is we've helped them position their heart to do it when they're out of our sight. So you better never not let me catch you do that. Don't worry, Mom. <laughs> Don't worry, Dad. <laughs> I will not let you catch me. It hasn't dealt with their heart. You, it dealt with their behavior in your sight, <laughs> but it hasn't done anything about the trajectory of their heart, you see. And, and that's what we mean when God is looking for a kind of person. Uh, the kind of person that's not just, um, you know, one way in one context and then something else in another context, you know, divided heart. Um, okay, now um, let, let's go back to the, let's go back to Matthew 5 and 8 and let's, uh, let's take a few minutes here where, where it says, uh, where Jesus said, blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, and, and, and kind of understand uh, a, a little better about our current purity. Our current purity is, you might put it this way, is uh, our, our current purity is, is real gold, uh, yet there's dross mixed in, okay? Uh, our, our, our current purity can, can be said to be, to be real gold, but often gold has impurities, dross and it has to be dealt with so that it can become pure gold and so now currently our purity could be said to be real gold real gold but eventually it will be pure gold and we know this because we see it in first john chapter three beloved we are now god's children or we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, what, is, what does this mean? The Christian, the Christian purifies themselves now because pure is what they will ultimately be. Okay? Uh, our present efforts... In other words, our present efforts toward purity are consistent with a future hope of being completely and finally pure. Okay? So even though our, our purity is real gold, uh, we, are, we are not, in other words, we, we're, we're not out of 
uh, a sinful context, you see. We, we, still, we still battle with our flesh, okay? But ultimately, when we finally see him, we, it says we will, uh, we will see him as he is, we'll, we'll be like him, and then we'll be ultimately and finally pure gold. Now, this last part of the verse, blessed are the pure in heart, Okay, we, we know what that means, singleness of heart, undivided heart, laser-focused. But it goes on to say, for they shall see God. For they shall see God. Okay. Uh, we, we, know that, we know the Scripture says, you know, that no man has seen God at any time. You know, just, we just, just we'd melt, okay? We'd melt, you know, I... I I may have told this before, but I remember years ago being in a church and uh, some Sunday night, and they had brought they had brought some uh, couple in, and there was a lady giving a story, a testimony about how that um, one morning uh, Jesus came into her bedroom and he sat in a rocking chair and she sat in his lap and they talked. And I said, "No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you did." And, and and what I mean by that is. John saw Jesus. He fell down as almost dead. And so I really don't think she saw Jesus sitting in a rocking chair with her, her in his lap. I really don't. Because, again, what we see in the Scripture when people have an encounter like this, it you know, just doesn't match up. I mean, I've, I've heard testimonies. Of, well, I was shaving the other morning. Jesus was standing there talking to me. I was like, you can believe all that stuff you want to. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not on board with that. But it says, we, it says, for they shall see God. We see, for, let's go through a few things first. We see, we see God in the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, are, we are able to know of God by looking at Jesus. Okay? God is invisible. He's a spirit. Jesus came, took on human flesh, and, and they, they seen him, they touched him, and we, we have a record of what he said and what he did, and we see glory of God in the person of Jesus. We also could say that we see God now by faith, okay? whether it be in, in creation or through the scriptures. We will also see his glory ultimately in the hereafter. Okay? So here's the question. Is there a sense in which we see God now with purity of heart? Not, not, listen, not, not, not sitting in the rocking chair, that, that sort of thing, or um, a, a visual experience of the living God. And I'm not talking about that. But is there a sense in which we see God now with purity of heart? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I'd invite you to think about it this way. Um, a pure heart is a single heart, an undivided heart. Because if you think about an, a divided heart, a divided heart, you, you might look at it this way. A divided heart would create like a fog-like condition, okay? I mean, you, you, let's say your, your, your heart is, is, is divided. It, you know, you, you've, you know, you've got allegiances here and something else is holding the title of your heart and yet you're, you're, you're trying to fit God. You're trying to wedge him in somewhere. And then you think, okay, I... I I'll try to read the Bible, and I'll try to go to church, and, and I'll try to, you know, and it just it seems kind of foggy, 
you know? Just things are not clear. And then you, you know, b- people will blame the church, and then they'll blame their Bible. And, you know, I've got to get a different translation, and i got to, you know. And, and, and see, we, we, we failed to, to realize that a divided heart can create a fog-like condition that hinders us from seeing God as he reveals himself through his word, as he speaks to us through his word, seeing him in that kind of way. See, an undivided, a divided heart puts us in a bad position. It doesn't leave us in a place to where we can, we can really see and comprehend and understand, but, but an undivided heart, a singleness of heart, puts us in a position to see God and have a, a greater knowledge of him, to grow in grace and grow in knowledge of him. So, so, so in, in, in some way, at least I'd like for you to think about a, a purity of heart, a singleness of heart, puts you in a better position to, to be able to, to worship God, wh- whether it be in your daily life or in public worship or reading the scriptures or praying, uh, a singleness of heart, uh, an undivided heart, a purity of heart, puts us in a better position rather than a divided heart that's all cluttered and, and uh, a fog-like kind of condition. And so that's why this last five minutes I'd like for us to do this. You're going to see a verse in Psalm 86 and 11. And um, I think this is a good way for us to take a few minutes to pray before we leave. And this would be a great verse for you to take with you, write it down, in regards to purity of heart. The psalmist is, is talking to the Lord. He's saying, teach, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The psalmist is talking exactly, precisely about what we're looking at tonight, purity of heart. When he says, unite my heart, uh, in, in other words, I don't want my desires to be scattered. I don't want my heart to be scattered. Uh, unite my heart. That it will be not divided but undivided. That it won't be a, a, in multiple directions. It will be single, single devotion unto the Lord. Not, not divided loyalties. And, and what that would lead to is what it says, unite my heart to fear your name. And so let, let's take just in the closing couple of minutes here, just, just right where you see seated, just bow your head, and just take a couple of minutes to pray this in and take this verse with you and take it with us. And um, let, let's, let's, let's use this, um, let's, let's use this to, to work in this beatitude of blessed are the pure in heart. So let's just take a couple of minutes quietly there at your seat pray and then I'll close this in prayer. Our Father, help us to understand that we really do have an enemy. Paul said to the church, I'm afraid. He would actually say, I'm afraid. I have a concern. It's just troubling me. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, his seduction and deception, he said, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Father, we're often guilty of either thinking that the devil is small potatoes, whip him with a squirt gun, that kind of stuff, or we fail to see the area that he has a bullseye on. 
We see it here in Scripture to lead us astray, our thoughts being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to you, Lord, that we would end up with a divided heart and we'd live in a fog-like condition. And so, Lord, forgive us, forgive us from being distracted, scattered desires, divided loyalties. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. May we bear the fruit. May we as your people bear the fruit of purity of heart, a sincere, pure devotion to our Lord. You deserve that, Lord. You deserve nothing less than this. And so, Lord, may we pray with the psalmist. And thank you for giving us a prayer, putting it in words. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. And may it lead, may it lead to much fruit in our lives. May it lead to holiness in our lives. May it lead to fearing your name. May it lead to praising you. And we go, we go in the strength of your spirit to do these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You are dismissed. God be with you as you go.